It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hi, this is Andy. I have a special offer for loyal listeners of Accelerate. It's a no-obligation, free trial of my zero-time selling interactive online training. Now, I've worked with thousands of sales reps to teach them how to use my zero-time selling to boost their productivity and transform the results. And so if you want to learn the same proven strategies to help you open more doors, have more effective sales conversations with prospects, and close more orders, then my zero-time selling interactive training system is a fit for you. It's incredibly simple to start. Just take out your smartphone and text the word TRUST, that's T-R-U-S-T, to 96000. Now, do you have your phone ready? Send a text to 96000. That's a nine and a six followed by three zeros. Now, enter the single word message TRUST and hit send, and you hear right back from me with instructions on how to sign up for your free trial on my zero-time selling interactive training. I look forward to seeing you there. Hello, and welcome to the show. I'm very excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Regis Lemons. Professor, author, consultant, speaker, and he focuses on writing about the future of sales. I remember reading a book, uh, gosh, a long time ago, written by um, Neil Rackham. In 1999, I think it was called Rethinking the Sales Force, Redefining Selling to Create and Capture Customer Value. And to my mind, this is far and away the best book that Neil Rackham ever wrote, better than spin selling. I mean, it helped to influence and reshape my views of the changes that the internet and technology we're going to have on selling. And my guest today is writing about that same sort of you know, impetus of change that's coming in selling and talks about what selling is going to look like in the year 2020 and beyond. And he's going to talk about it today. Welcome, Regis, to the show. Thank you very much, Andy. So before we get into that, take a minute and introduce yourself. Tell us uh, you know, what you do and sort of how you got started in this whole sales business. All right. Well, I come from a different background. I come from the IT background. I, uh, I started in the IT business, got involved in CRM projects, and evolved in my career from, from an IT person to an account manager, ended up in sales. And um, we wanted to do, you know, we saw there was more demand for consulting and professionalizing uh, the sales forces uh, over here in Europe. And um, that, you know, triggered the idea, why not do a PhD and do some research on the topic? And, you know, I was 32 at the time, and it was time to go back to school and, you know, take a few years off. So I started doing a PhD on um, on sales and sales management, and specifically about key account management, which was really uh, trendy at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's nice that you, you, you're talking about um, Neil Rackham, because Neil was actually my external promoter. Uh-huh. He, uh, he was there when I did uh, my graduation, and he was part of the jury. So it was very exciting to have Neil involved in the project as well. Very interesting, very interesting, yeah. Yeah, um, and you know, while I was doing the PhD, I was um, contacting quite a lot of organizations who were going through a lot of changes themselves. And uh, many of them actually um, invited me to, to, to use their data, use their organization to do my research. And that's how I ended up being a consultant, um, because next to my research, of course, they also wanted to change things. So um, I started helping them out to change, and that's how I, I set up my own business on the side. 
Um, and I, I always make the joke that I, I teach about sales and sales management, and I use very nice, clean examples, and people go, you know, exciting back to their offices, start doing it, and then they figure out that it's 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 more difficult than that. And then mm. they contact me, and then I come back as a consultant. Really, <laughs> well, that's a that's a good way to set up the gig. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's we whet your appetite with the research, and then you have to hire me to come make it happen. I love it. Yeah. It's a great model. So let's start talking about some of the major changes that you foresee coming for yeah. the B2B seller. Because I went through some of your material, and you've got some pretty interesting points of view. And maybe we start with this whole idea about, you know, the, we have this idea of the consultative selling, but you're really envisioning that that really becomes much more formalized relationship and that, that the customers, in essence, are going to start paying sellers for their business advice. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's how we see the future, basically. Salespeople, uh, you know, we're all about adding more value. And consultative selling was a way to add more value by, you know, helping the customer to see how they, we can solve their problems. And that was really what Neil Rackin was, was, was writing about. What we're seeing today is that more and more uh, customers are finding these answers on the Internet, are also more educated. So we need to actually step up a game a bit more and go further. And we, we, we call this co-creating. We need to actually go and help the customer and we need the consultants. And the question is, you know, when you're a consultant, you normally send an invoice after you've seen a customer. So why shouldn't a salesperson send an invoice after he met with the customer? That, that's a question we pose. So, well, if you really... And what's, what, what's, did, you, did you survey any customers to find out what they'd say about that? Well, they, well they're a bit shocked, to be honest. Yeah. And, uh, so, so are salespeople, and sales managers love it, uh, <laughs> as you would expect. Um, you know what we usually say is it doesn't really matter whether you're actually invoiced or not. As a sales organization, that should be your goal. We should constantly look to set the bar at, at the level where we could, if you wanted to, invoice our customer because that's the amount of value that we add when we, when we see them. Well, that's, that's, um, that's an interesting point because one of the, the uh, things that, that is problematic, I think, in general is this idea that frontline salespeople maybe don't have the requisite knowledge to be able to provide that type of value to their, their prospects, to do this co-creation of value as you talk about. How do you, how do you begin to address that without... I mean, I talk about it in my books. I'm a huge believer that we want to put as much expertise and experience into the frontline salesperson as you possibly can, even to the point of, of, you know, sort of moving away from the traditional model of what a salesperson looks like to having them be much more experts in their fields, which, you know, to some sales managers is just, you know, that's heresy, right? Because they think you got to have the hunter as opposed to this, you know, more soft skills. I think that's perhaps where, where Europe might be a little bit different from the U.S. Because, you, you know, in Europe, we have many more different smaller countries, each talking their own language. So we, we don't really have a, a big one-size-fits-all approach. We always have to you know, have smaller sales forces, which are more focused on, on customers. So I think here, organizing in hunters and farmers and, and those kind of concepts are more complicated. Just because you don't have, yeah, uh, you don't have the scope or the scale of the number of customers like you do have in the U.S., so you do have to think about languages and cultures here as well. Sure, but uh, don't you, in general, though, sort of think that? I mean, I'm talked to a lot of people, obviously, in doing these interviews. That you know, some thought that this this hunter farmer terminology has really become outdated. It is outdated. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, and I think even more here in Europe because of those cultural and because the size of the markets are always smaller, it is also much more difficult to actually implement. It is outdated. Well, what we're seeing actually is is more and more when I speak and I speak at companies, um, using the word sales is is seen somehow as derogative. I I had one occasion where within a doing a seminar. Um, I was interrupted and said, you know, I, I shouldn't refer to the sales force as salespeople anymore. They are business development, the, uh, development managers or key account managers. And it, it kind of shows that we're looking at the role of sales. It, it's something different. It's really more as a consultant, helping the customer to develop their business or being, you know, an account manager and, and, and managing a relationship. Mm-hmm. So that's changing. And, and with that change comes also... The fact that the role comes with a lot more content, like consultants, where we're able to provide much deeper and more advice. Well, what we're also seeing here is that a lot of those companies say, well, you know, we can't pack all that knowledge into one single, you know, commercial person. Mm-hmm. You see more and more team-based selling being the, the, the approach these days, right. where you go as a team to a client. And, and there you can, you can actually bring quite a lot of knowledge and you can charge for it. Well, I was going to say, because that certainly is you know, a more costly approach to, to selling, right? If you're always Absolutely. teaming up to, to go make the call. Yes. I think that was, it was one time when I was working on the research in 2011. Um, we came with this, idea, with, this, with this idea that we should be able to be really consultants with our customers. And we worked with ING in the Netherlands, the bank... And what IG was saying, well, this is fantastic, but you know, you're creating a longer sales process and you're requiring us to hire more expensive salespeople. Somehow, at the same time, our margins are decreasing. So there's a paradox there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that led to actually in the research say, well, then you should be able to charge for it. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Well, and, but does it really lead to a longer sales cycle? I mean, part of what I see in, in my work with companies, I've written about this in my books, is that. And we certainly see this in the research here, in the, at least in the U.S., is that customers want to be able to make decisions faster, right? And that they really feel held back in many respects by, by the sellers because the sellers aren't bringing that expertise to bear, right? They're not bringing the people with the, the right knowledge to really do this true consultative sale. But if you do that, then really the net effect should be compressed buying cycles. I say buying cycles on the part of the customer because they'll be able to gather the information they need more quickly and more completely in order to make a decision. Right. I, I agree with you, but that's not always the way that, that customers see it uh, or sales organizations see it um, because they, they, they still think in the, the old-fashioned sales funnel side. And then they say, you know, if we're coming earlier, it's a longer cycle, which indeed, as you say, it's not true because you're coming earlier, you don't go through this whole process as you used to in the past because you add value very early on in the process and you're able to, to, to start developing business much quicker. Mm-hmm. We, we, we have a beautiful example here, which, which I also mentioned in the book, which is a, a Canadian uh, software company called CGI. And they position themselves, you know, they're a system integrator, and they position themselves as, a, as an innovator. They, they try to differentiate themselves from their competitors by saying, you know, we're the partner that you work with when you want to look for new innovative technologies. And the way they do that is they, they've organized some sort of a demo center, which they call the Spark Center. And it was great because they had, for instance, two years ago, they had the Google Glasses there. 
And if you think about it, how do you sell apps to a bank on Google Glasses? What's the problem that you're going to solve for it? I mean, salespeople didn't know. What they adopted was really a co-creation approach where they invited banks to come and see the glasses, mm-hmm. have an experience with it, and then immediately they asked the bank also, you know, how could these glasses make you more competitive in your environment? And surely, but one bank actually came up with a number of ideas, and out of that day, they got an order for two apps that they had to develop. So this was a fantastic because in one day you, you went from I have absolutely no idea what I could do with this technology with this company and at the end of the day you had an order already. Right. And that's fantastic. And that's also what we call co-creation which is not just I'm doing something for you but I'm doing it together with you. The client brings their knowledge, you bring yours and by having a, a correct setup to create a good dialogue which is the demo center in this case, the mm-hmm. smart center, you can actually create very short sales cycles and, and really co-create. And the fantastic thing about this, because that's why I talk about it in the book, is that customers really like to come to those centers, and some of them are actually paying CGI to actually come several times a year with the whole innovation department to be inspired. Sure. And that's really a fantastic example where a customer is paying to be inspired so that they can actually buy more services from them. Right. Projects. Yeah, I like that idea. So let's take a step back when we talk about hiring people to be able to sell this way, right? I mean, one of the things that I see is, you know, take, for instance, the Challenger sale, which is, you know, certainly deservedly a very popular book here in the United States, because the concept was, to my point of view, was, was right on, right? Is this yeah. is how you, this is especially in large, complex sales. <clears throat> And I used that methodology long before I knew that methodology existed. I was doing it myself, um, working for small companies, competing against big companies. That's really how we won, by challenging the customer's paradigm for what they thought the best solution was and helping them sort of reorient the playing field, right, based on our approach. But one of the issues that seem to be with with the challenger is that while it's a great model, in my mind, it's it's not really scalable because it's... You know, it's, it's very individual, right? Not everybody has those skills to be able to do that. Not everybody has the knowledge to be able to apply the challenger methodology effectively. So how do you advise companies relative to how they define the skills they're looking for in sales positions? Well, the advice we give is that don't look for the one person who can do it all. Try to form teams. That's what we see all over uh, here in Europe is that we see team-based selling happening. So we see product experts, you know, content experts, but also experts, customer experts or industry experts. And by combining those expertises together, you create enough content and knowledge that you are able to challenge or even inspire your customers. So it's all about team-based selling. Yeah, we're seeing, I think we're beginning to see some of that here in the U.S. from a team-based Certainly there's a specialization occurring in terms of sales roles, and especially with sort of more inside sales uh, organizations taking shape, where you have your, your uh, business development reps that are sort of the front-line contacts with uh, new prospects handing over to account exec. So we're seeing some of that, but certainly not, I think, to that extent that you talk about. Now, is this something that you're seeing applied just to sort of the large complex sale, or you're seeing it involved and in, applied to lots of different product types? Well, what we do see is, is a lot of companies are, are organizing some sort of a matrix structure where you have salespeople specializing in, in the technology and salespeople tech, uh, specializing in the markets. And 
depending on the type of customer, either they go together or if the customer just wants a product, then you know the product salespeople, the technology people actually close the deal immediately. Mm-hmm. So we see these, these, these matrix structures are able to uh, address different types of customers. Very interesting. Well, good. We'll talk more about that after the break. Now, before we go into the break, though, I'm going to pose a question for you. This is really a hypothetical scenario, and I ask this question of all my guests. So uh, give you something to think about when we go into the break, and when we come back, we'll get your answer. So here's the hypothetical scenario. You're a new sales manager hired into a company whose sales have stalled and a little bit stagnated, and upper management's really anxious for things to change and turn around. So what two things would you do in the first week that could have the biggest impact? So if you think about that, we'll come back in a minute and we'll get your answer. Hi, this is Andy Paul with my guest Regis Lemons, and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Hi, welcome back. My guest today, all the way from Brussels, Belgium, Antwerp, Belgium, excuse me, uh, Regis Lemons, professor, author, speaker, consultant, uh, we're talking about the future of sales. He's written extensively about that. Some great presentations you can see on SlideShare that he's put up there. Uh, so let's talk about the scenario I posed before the break. New sales manager hired into a company that needs to be turned around. What two things could you do in the first week that would have the biggest impact? Um, I, well, we, we often, I, I often get in, into that situation. That's usually when companies contact us at university or contact my, my, my consulting organization because things aren't going very well anymore and they can't seem to find the answer. Mm-hmm. The two things that we immediately address, so the first thing we immediately start addressing is the market. So well, something has happened in your market. Your customers have changed. And it's not so much about changing your sales organization, but first understanding what has changed with your clients. And... Do we still have a value proposition that you know our, our customers are uh, are interested in? And very often that's that's where we find the biggest issues. It's that what we're offering is no longer very attractive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you know they've been they've they've usually already been changing quite a lot of things in the sales organization themselves. They've usually gone through a lot of trainings. That's usually when they come to me. So we've tried all the different trainings. Perhaps could we try yours as well? And, and, and I often tell them that it, it's probably not a training issue. Probably have to look back at your customers. You know, what are they, what are they buying? What are they looking for? And, and are we really delivering that value? Right. So one of the things we often do then is I, I ask the, trade, the sales organization to each salesperson to pick up two customers, two good big customers, and I send them back and they go and interview them. And they ask the customers that, they tell the customer we're busy with a strategic exercise, which is true, and that we would like their advice and their inputs. And in that conversation, we're not going to talk about us. We're going to talk about them. And we ask them how they see the future, what their strategies are, you know, and what are their challenges. And usually those discussions last about an hour or two. 
And then I, I, I gather the sales force back, and then we do a workshop where we look at all the answers we got. And based on that, we start drawing out, you know, what are the biggest challenges out there, and how could we, as a sales organization, help our customers with those challenges. Next step is I, I, I we basically make a report showing, you know, this is the input we got from all our customers. This is what we think we could do. And I ask the sales force to go back and visit all these customers again and show them, you know, look, we got input from you, but we also had input from many other customers. This is, these are the big trends that we see. This is what we think we could do. What do you think? And believe it or not, there are many, many opportunities coming out of those discussions. Customers really appreciate the fact that salespeople usually come to talk to them, not about them, but come to talk about the customer and the customer strategy. Mm -hmm. So appreciate, and a lot of them, there's a feedback we get, is that they really appreciate also to get feedback on what other customers, their peers basically, what are their challenges, you know, and, and they also appreciate the fact that they're involved in us looking for ways that we can help them. And usually out of, out of those, uh, those discussions, in the third uh, meeting when I, I gather the sales force again, I immediately already have real-life opportunities that we can start working on. Yeah. No, and I, I love the answer because, yes, I've asked this question of, of yeah, more than 100 people. And, and yes. you know, it's funny how many people don't start with the customer. And I think that, you know, you gave two steps that both involve starting with the customer. And that's really where the change has to come from. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry if it was a bit of a long response, but that, that really works. You involve the customer and you co-create basically your new value proposition or your your way of working with customers together with them. It really, really works. So let me ask a question about, you know, taking from this concept of co-creation is how do you train people to think this way, right? So let's say you're a business owner, you're you know, a manager of a small, medium-sized enterprise, you're an entrepreneur, just bringing your, your product to market for the first time. How do you how do you approach, you know, how do you train your salespeople to say, okay, this is the approach you need to use with the customer for this, to go into this co-creation model? And what are sort of the key things you focus on? Well, the, the first thing is it, it's rather counterintuitive for a lot of salespeople. So what, what I usually do is I, I, I do a small exercise. Uh, I have first workshop with them. I do a small exercise in which I ask them, what are the current trends? What are you seeing today with your clients? And I ask them a question like, think back five to 10 years ago. How were your customers then? How are they today? What have you seen? What are the big changes you've seen? And then we have a group discussion. And, and believe it or not, they all come with the same answer. Customers are not loyal. Customers only want price. Customers are you know, I've really changed. Mm -hmm. And I, I use that really as a, as a burning platform, if you like. I say, well, if, if that's what is happening now, it's only going to increase in the future. So we need to do something differently. And then I present them the, the concept of co-creation. I present them a number of cases, how a lot of companies have already started doing that. And that's usually my first step. I create the awareness, like, guys, we need to do something like that. And then the next step is, is, is not so much training them, but it's, it's rethinking about how could we do it. It's redesigning the sales process. And I do that again together with them. So we're, we're looking at ways, how could we co-create with our clients? And one of the things to do is, again, I, the exercise I've just explained is mm -hmm. let's go and talk to customers and see, you know, what are their challenges? What strategically are they trying to achieve? And how could we help them with it? 
And, and based on that, we redesign different approaches. So it, it's, it's more than just skills. It's really redesigning a, an approach and what we're going to offer. And, and to give you an example, I, I was working with a, another Canadian company that's here in Europe. They're um, the manufacturing paint, which is a commodity. And what we did is uh, we interviewed a lot of customers all around Europe. And what they noticed, and they all came back with, was, you know, a lot of our customers, they see their big projects, their big painting projects, they have moved to Asia because they're less expensive. So our customers have to fill their volume of business with a lot of smaller um, projects. So they have to find more customers, something they weren't used to. So what we discovered actually that these customers of theirs don't have the marketing activities or budgets to actually look for those customers. But we do because they were a big company. Mm -hmm. For instance, one of our new sales approach was we are going to offer them to organize on their behalf marketing events for their customers to help them to become a business. And believe me, that really worked incredibly well. Our salespeople are no longer going to talk about paint and the price of paint. They want to talk about which marketing activities can we organize and how can we help you to get more business so right. that you can buy our paint. That's a good example. So is there, yeah. Yeah. this is an interesting question, I guess, is if, you know, if you've got sales forces really not accustomed to selling this way, what question should they lead with, right? I mean, oftentimes that's the case. So, you know, you're trying to teach people to sort of change their mindset and adopt a new set of behaviors. Sometimes they just need that that cornerstone question that, that they should lead with. What's a good question for somebody from a co-creation standpoint when they're doing a discovery call with a customer to sort of slip into that co-creation mode? Um, I usually give them four questions that they should start with. Is 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 the four questions I use. I was training a sales force yesterday on it. And, and the first question is, you know, what are the, the things that you hear are, are happening or are coming to your market next year? What are you seeing already happening today? What's, what's changing already with your customers? How do you feel about it? What are the threats and opportunities you see here? And, and what are you already doing? And these four questions actually open up quite a discussion, which is not about me and my products, but about my customer and their challenges and their markets. And it focuses much more the attention towards the customer, what their goals are, what their challenges are, and that opens up avenues for us to see, okay, well, we could perhaps help you with that. So I usually give those four questions. What do you hear in your market? What do you see happening already now? How do you feel about it? And what are you doing already about it today? Very often the last one, there's not much answer. They haven't done much today yet. And then they're usually very embarrassed about it. But that also opens up the idea or the area of challenges, saying, well, why haven't you done anything? You know, what are you missing to start doing something about it? And, and you know, this, this opens the way for, for, for a conversation, for a dialogue, and that ends up in, in a co-creation. Yeah, and it seems like a good fifth question, if I could be so bold, and to suggest a fifth question is, where do you want to be, you know, in a year from now? Or where do you want to be in two years from now? You know, whatever your, your sort of, near-term planning horizon is because that's that gap where you're going to be able to help them by co-creating value. That's correct. Yeah. The, the only problem sometimes if you ask that question first is that people don't always have the answer. True. That, that's, we, 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 you know, when we did our research for the book that we wrote on the future of selling, 
that was something that we learned. If we ask people, how do you see sales evolve in the next you know, five to ten years, they can't answer that question. You get very, very um, you know, basic answers that you would have expected. Oh, yeah. No, that's why I framed it within a year or two, right? So every, yeah. I think every business has a vision for where they're going to be in a year, right? Yeah. If they don't, they're you operating without a plan, right? Yeah. So, but there's oftentimes that gap between where they envision they want to be as a result of the plan and where they are operating in today because they really don't have a plan, right? Yes. So, well, good. So another question for you then is how do you, you know, you think about sales from an academic standpoint. And one of the topics I talk about more and more these days is productivity. So how do you define productivity from a sales perspective? Well, that's a good question. Um, gosh, anyway, you got me. <laughs> well, let me give you what I'm, where I'm coming from is, is that part of the problem is, you know, everybody talks about, oh, we're going to improve sales productivity. And I, and I think that what I see is that companies really are fooling themselves because they confuse performance with productivity, right? As, you know, I can have uh, somebody sell more, but their basic productivity, if we define it in sort of classic economic terms, which is, you know, rate of output for a certain unit of input, hasn't changed at all. And to me, at the end of the day, sales productivity is about, you know, how many dollars of revenue you can generate per hour of time that's actually selling time, right? Time in front of customers or connected with customers. And, you know, I think this co-creation model actually is a very interesting way to tool that perhaps really could drive improvements in sales productivity in terms of what return you get for the hour you invest of selling time. Yes. Yes. Well, yeah, I see, I see where you're going now with the question. Well, one of the things that we're looking at uh, much more now is looking at how much dialogue do you generate between us and our customers. And, you know, it's not just about how much sales you've generated, but how many um, relationships have we developed? Who are we talking to? How are these, how is value created with them? And then later on, we know that that value will be will generate into dollars. Um, I'm working now with a university, actually, who wants to be much more commercial. And um, they have salespeople to sell courses to, to companies. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we're now doing is we're changing that model because it's not really working anymore. We can't get appointments. Um, so we're changing it to a co-creation model. And what we're doing there is all the salespeople have to choose uh, an area, a sector on which they want to focus on, and that's also an area on which we do research. Like, for instance, the energy department is an area that the university does research on. So what they need to do now, that's their, their strategy, is they need to map out that sector, identify all the key stakeholders, and start building relationships with them, help our researchers to get access to these companies, do research together with them, and while they're doing that, also position us as an organization that can provide training to them. So it's, it's less about selling directly. It's mm -hmm. more about creating relationships and a dialogue which will make sure that the day that that company needs training, they will automatically think about us. Right. And so in terms of KPIs, we're starting to look here in this project much more about number of relationships the intensity of the relationship, how much are we working with all these companies, um, how much research are we getting out of it, because even if that's not what we're selling, it's still value for the university as well. 
And we've also relabeled these salespeople as business developers. Mm-hmm. You need to develop a market and develop the business in that market as a whole. So it's much more than sales. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's really what we're looking at at the moment. It does, in a way. I mean, it's an interesting perspective. And I, we may uh, get back together and explore that. <laughs> Maybe offline, as we'll have another conversation. So, all right, we're going to move into the last segment of the show here. I've got some rapid-fire questions for you sure. that uh, you can give me one-word answers, or you can elaborate as you choose. So, you ready? Yes. So, what's the most powerful sales tool you have in your arsenal? Design thinking. Um yeah, design thinking, because I don't know if you have, if you had a look at it, it's a methodology to innovate. Mm-hmm. And in Europe, all companies, they're interested in innovation. So if, as a salespeople, go contact companies, talk about innovation, talk about helping them to innovate. And design thinking is a methodology that will help you to do that. Definitely advise all salespeople, look into it. It's the next sales methodology or the next sales tools that you're going to use. All right. I'm on it. Design thinking. What's one tool you use for your own sales management that you can't live without? Um, I'm embarrassed to say it, but it's Excel. <laughs> Don't be embarrassed. Lots of people say that. Yeah. <laughs> what, who's your sales role model? Who's my sales role? You, you know it's Neil Rackham. Okay. <laughs> it's Neil Rackham, and exactly for the same reasons you said earlier. I love the fact that the rethinking the sales force was great. Um, when he was my, my promoter for my thesis, I, I was at the seminar in which he actually opened up and says, you know what, when we developed spin selling, it was based on the fact that the products we made in Europe and in the US were not that good, so people had a lot of problems. But if you think about today, all our products and services are pretty good, so why should the customer change products and go for you? So we need a new sales methodology that looks into that which basically leads to challenger sales, it leads to more co-creation, and that was really my role model. He inspired me, and that's why I started this research. Yeah, well, I think co-creation speaks specifically to what he talked about, Rackham talked about in the modern American sales force, or the modern sales force, is that, you know, his primary points there is that if the value, if the channel can't provide something of value to the buyer, then they don't need the channel. And so, you know, we've seen all these product types where the sales force has basically been taken out of the middle or disintermediated, as I like to say. Yeah. You know, when's the last time you saw something, a salesperson selling pencils, or for instance, right, as an example, an extreme example. Yes. So, yeah, that book really foresaw what was going to occur with the power of the internet to be able to provide a level of value that if salespeople can't exceed the level of value that people can get online, they don't need the salesperson. That's correct, yeah. So what we, we even see this, this, this happening even more. If you look at um, a lot of the HubSpots, you know, the inbound marketing, right. all of those tools, and, and we look at the research that is happening on that level, I, I anticipate there's even more, um, more consultative selling going to happen online. So we as a sales, sales force, we need to go much more into the strategies of our customers rather than just solving their problems. It's, I think it's... it's it's not going to last very long anymore. Right. Well, I think that's a great point. That's, you know, you talk about getting into their strategies versus solving their problems. It's, yeah, you're looking at what their objective and their vision is as opposed to just what do I need to fix right now? Yeah. All right. What's one book every salesperson should read? 
<laughs> from selling to co-creating. I have to give you that answer because that's my book, of course. All right. Well, let's well, let's, let's let's take another one. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> well. To be honest, I think challenge sale at this stage is a very good one. I just noticed they had the they had second book coming out, so I'm looking forward to read it. The challenger buyer, right? Yes. Um, another book, and this is perhaps something completely different, but um, I'm I'm looking into books like this is service design thinking, which you might argue has nothing to do with sales, but it's about design thinking and how to create value through a service. And believe it or not, but we as sales organizations, we deliver services to our clients. Sure. So how can we add more value to it? I, I, must say, I must admit that most of the books I read are not sales related because I look for inspiration outside the field of sales. So is there a particular book on design thinking? Yeah, this is Service Design Thinking. That's the title. It's a bit long, but that's really a bestseller. It's a very good book on design thinking. And who's the author? Um... Mark, yeah, I'll have to look at them. I'm sorry, I'm not with the names. It's not just in front of me. Um, I'll just look online while I'm while I'm talking to you. Of course. <laughs> I'll, while you do that, I'll give you the next question. So, what's your favorite music to listen to? Oh, wait, wait. The, 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 I'm sorry. Spell the last name. No, I was going to say that there's two books. This is Service Design Thinking. It's definitely one book to to um, to read. The other one, yeah, that's the thing. There's 23 authors actually of this book. Oh. <laughs> there's, there's one. There's one author that, that was the lead one. Is Mark and, and his, his last name escapes at the moment. Um, okay. There's 23 design thinkers all around Europe. Uh, a lot of them in the Netherlands because the Netherlands and the Nordic countries are very uh, very good in this uh, this approach. And they all came together to write this book, and it's really worthwhile looking at. Okay, we'll we'll put that title on our website so when yeah. this episode's published, people can can reference that. Uh, so. The other question for you is, what's your favorite music to listen to to pump yourself up before an important sales call? I, I, I'm embarrassed to say that because it's Genesis. <laughs> I, I, I think I show, it shows my age. Um, well, hey, lots of, people, lots of people said ACDC, so that's okay. Yeah, yeah, okay, all right, then it's fine. It's, in my case, it's Genesis, and it's true. I have it on my, uh, on my iPhone. And I listen to it in the car on the way to, to a customer. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, what's the first sales activity you do every day? Uh, check my emails and check my uh, my social media. Okay. Last question for you. What's the question you get asked most frequently by salespeople? Um, it's mainly about how to differentiate myself, how to add more value, how to make sure that it's not a price discussion. That's what I hear constantly. Mm -hmm. How to make a difference in price. Excellent. And your answer is? Co-create. We need a different approach then. Love it. Okay. Well, good. Well, I want to thank you for joining me. My guest today has been Regis Lemons. He's a professor at Solve Business School in Brussels, CEO of SalesCube, a sales consulting company, author of a book. Well, why don't you tell us about the name of your book again and tell people where they can find out more about you. Well, the name of the book is called From Selling to Co-Creating. You can find more about the book on Amazon.com. Go on SlideShare, and, and if, you, if you look me up, Regis Lemons, or if you look up Sales 2020, which was the name of the research project which led to the book, you'll find some, uh, some PowerPoint presentations and some material that explains a little bit the, the concepts and the, the ideas that we're working on. Good, and yes. So, uh, you can always visit our website on salescubes.com. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I recommend people do that. So, 
Remember, everybody, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate the pace of your business growth. Subscribing to this podcast on iTunes is certainly an excellent way to do that. Make sure that you don't miss any of our conversations with top business experts like our guest today, Regis Lemons, who share their experience and wisdom about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us, and until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.